welcome to Season 5 of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha Kekis-Wolf. Sunil, what's happening today? Well, uh, it's Halloween today, and so, you know, this is like a year since uh, removed since, you know, we, we could not go trick-or-treating, so probably taking the kids trick-or-treating today. It's kind of a little party. Uh, what are you dressing up as? I'm not a big costume guy, I have to admit. So I thought about Ted Lasso, but uh, then I uh, just decided I'll just go as myself. Well, you're going to like what I'm going at this year. I'm dressed up as a Shiba Inu. The coin, not the dog. Today's conversation is oh, actually boy. all about, I know, right? You're like, whoa, that, me, that wasn't that good. Um, I'm not a dress up person either, but but uh, Shiba Inu has been on my mind a lot lately because it's been going bonkers. At least it seems like it's going bonkers. In fact, the entire crypto world is uh, super complex and seems to be on fire and then um, in a good way and then on fire in a bad way all of the time. Like I just don't know how to get to the bottom of it consistently. I mean, I don't even understand the very basics and fundamentals of crypto, which is why I asked our guest today, Matt Taylor, to join us. Uh, Matt's the head of growth at uh, one of the buzziest cryptocurrency projects called Solana right now. And um, even if you're not super you know, deep in the crypto world, you've probably heard of Bitcoin. You've probably heard of Ethereum. Well, Solana is becoming a fast challenger uh, to those two. And, you know, Matt is somewhat of an expert in the space. And we wanted to ask him some very, very basic questions and stupid questions about cryptocurrency. All the stupid questions you wanted to ask, but were afraid to ask a person who's an expert. Today's conversation is super wide ranging, a um, lot of depth in the conversation. Um, I hope you enjoy. Matt, really excited to have you on the show tonight. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So, hey, uh, are you from the Bay Area? I am not. I'm from Washington State originally, actually. Ooh, Washington State. Where in Washington? So, I grew up in a town called Kashmir. Um, it's in the eastern part of the state, and uh, yeah, but I've been but I've been in California since college, and so it's coming up on eleven years now. Nice. So, when you were a little kid growing up in Eastern Washington, were you always like, "I got to get to the Bay Area. I got to get to California." <laughs> Um, I don't know about that. Um, I, I always thought California sounded like a cool place to live. Uh, it's just one of the schools that I got into, um, was there in, in Southern California. And so when I went on my kind of like admitted student stay tour to a few different places, I kind of fell in love with Southern California. So, um, yeah, spent four years, um, down there. And then right after graduation, I moved up to the Bay area. That's awesome. Both Sunil and I went to school pretty close to where you went to. I think actually you and Sunil went to the same school. It's hard to not love the Los Angeles area, like the broader Los Angeles area. It's a pretty great place. Are you, that's where you are now, though, right? You you went to the Bay Area and then came back down or moved back down. I did. So I, um, yeah, I was in the Bay Area uh, for for quite a few years, and then yeah, during the pandemic, my wife and I decided to move down south um again and yeah just been hanging out here but you know we're not sure if we're gonna stay here long term maybe back back to the bay um pretty soon do uh do the things that you two do professionally bring you back to the bay area is that the reason that this place has been intriguing to you uh primarily um i also have some family there um but the the company that i work for salana labs uh is going to be opening up an office again downtown so just want to be close to that um so yeah 
planning to come back up at some point. Nice. Is it, um, it feels like, well, it feels like, I know oh, go Neil's ahead, got yeah, something. So, hey, uh, Matt, we have the tip jar. So check this out. Uh, we have been mostly recording remotely uh, during the, during the pandemic. And we have these moments where we talk over each other. So this is moment one of, of certainly okay. what will be multiple moments. Uh, and Yasha owes me like uh, five Solana coins every single time <laughs> that he talks over me. Yeah. Sunil owes That's me awesome. two Bitcoin. That's how many times he's talked over me. It's getting Whoa, up there. <laughs> but you're, you're in, uh, this is kind of getting to the punchline. You're in the crypto space. Uh, maybe that's the right way to frame it broadly. Do you feel like the crypto space in the U.S. is centered in the Bay Area? Is that the most important place to be if you care about cryptocurrencies and the blockchain and the industry that's building around this space? Um, I think it's one of the most important places. Uh, I would say New York um, is another place. There's a bunch of folks down here in Southern California and L.A. area. Um, but honestly, you know, due to the nature of it being kind of this decentralized ecosystem, it's people all over the world. So it's not like you have to be in the Bay area to be part of it. Um, but there's a lot of good, good companies in the space. So today we're going to, now we were less, now we were less rude and we actually had a a brief moment of silence, uh, there. (laughs) I think this is why everybody likes this podcast. It's so charming that way. Cause we're always talking over each other. It's just charming. We're people, we mess up. Is there a tip? You know, so do you maybe, like remove funds? Oh, sorry. Now, do I have to owe something to the tip charge? No, 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 no. Sorry. You're, you're, the, you're the guest. You're the guest. You go. You're the guest. Okay. No, no, no. I was just saying the tip charge idea is pretty funny. So, yeah, go for it. All right. So, we are here today, and we did. We mentioned this in the intro to the audience that we're going to give the best crypto primer it's possible to give. And so, maybe just to start with, could you establish your crypto credentials to the audience? And that could be what you're currently doing, which is super cool. But uh, from our conversations, your interest in crypto stems back many years. So talk to us a little bit about your interest in crypto and how it started. Yeah, sure. Um, So I got into crypto pretty deep, uh, actually in college. Um, I taking a lot of economics classes and it was kind of in the wake of the financial crisis 2008 um and i was also kind of had some internships in 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 the tech space um and i kind of combined those interests when i found bitcoin uh, i wrote my undergraduate thesis on kind of the economics of of bitcoin mining and in some things like proof of work and proof of stake um, and so that's where I kind of really started to tumble down the proverbial rabbit hole. Um, but after that, I was, you know, I was, I was super into it. I was going to tons of meetups, um, all over. Um, but the community was, was quite small and, and, and there weren't that many companies in the space at the time, um, applied to Coinbase when it was just starting up, I got denied. Um, and after that I decided, well, I'll just, you know, work in the normal tech industry and, once this thing takes off, you know, 20 years from now, I'll still be kind of ready to, to jump in and provide more value to whatever company I decided to join. Um, and so I, I joined Square um, in San Francisco after graduation and was there for, for about four years. Um, but then kind of like 2017 rolled around and it really started to take off, um, you know, kind of unexpectedly. And, and I had been, you know, just super obsessed with it uh, for, for my whole time at Square. And so I... Um, I, I, I joined a, I joined a project in the Ethereum space called ZeroX, which is a decentralized exchange 
project um, and was there for a couple of years heading up their marketing. And then about uh, a little over a year ago, I joined uh, Solana, uh, Solana Labs, um, which is kind of the core development team and, uh, you know, the builders of, of the Solana blockchain. Um, and so I've been there for, for a while and yeah, just super into crypto, uh, love it, breathe it. Um, and so, yeah, happy to talk about my, my experience and kind of what, what the crypto one-on-one is. Can we start with some of the basics? So can you walk through, like, let's call it the infrastructure of cryptocurrency from the blockchain to coins to smart contracts. I'm throwing out terms that maybe don't make sense to people and I'm sure I'm leaving out a ton, but what's the, like, how do you describe the system that makes up cryptocurrency independent of the different types of currencies that exist? So, so there's a lot of questions in there. <laughs> Can you narrow it down? That's, that's a tough place to start off. So you just want me to cover kind of like the top networks and kind of work from there? Let's do it. Okay. Um, so, so there's Bitcoin. Uh, this was the first, uh, you know, uh, Bitcoin and, and a lot of these networks mean different things to different people. Um, but to me, Bitcoin was kind of an attempt to create a non-sovereign, you know, store of value, um, medium of exchange and unit of account, um, for the world, um, and kind of sort of displace the, the current kind of central banking system. Um, and, and through that process, this kind of pseudonymous, uh, you know, person or multiple people named Satoshi Nakamoto, um, uh, developed this, this technology called the blockchain that, that allowed people to kind of like trustlessly interact with the system and know that there is this kind of digitally scarce token called Bitcoin, um, that, you know, that has a, a has a, a limited supply. Um, and it kind of very much followed the kind of the philosophy of Hayek, um, you know, when back in the day, there was this big debate between Hayek and, and Keynes and kind of Keynes like won that debate in practice because most of the world is kind of run through his kind of inflationary monetary theory. And this was kind of an, kind of a first experiment in practice to see how this kind of more Austrian school of, of money would work out through, through the Bitcoin technology. And so that was kind of the, the first kind of instance of this. Um, and that's still the, the largest market cap um, token out there. Um, I think the, the interesting thing was that the, the next big development was with this project kind of in 2014, 2015, where, uh, this guy named Vitalik Buterin, this kid from Canada, I think he was, I, I want to say he was under 20 years old when he developed this, this system called Ethereum, um, which is the second largest by market cap, uh, cryptocurrency in the world. And this was more kind of like hey, this Bitcoin idea was really great, but there's tons of assets and there's tons of things you can do with these assets once they're on the blockchain using something called the smart contract. Um, and so I'm going to build basically this system along with some other folks um, that that allows a much more flexible way of just, one, making these tokens, so issuing assets, and then once assets are issued on chain, basically you know, using them within smart contracts, which are essentially like, okay. So if I'm going to interrupt you, I'm going to interrupt you, Matt. Um, okay. So there is so much to unpack there. And so I'm going to ask like the stupid guy questions. Okay. So 
Um, okay. Why should everyone care about crypto? Like, let's just start there. So, you know, I'm somebody who, uh, you know, I'm just kind of hypothetically saying, you know, I'm in, you know, some random industry and I'm not in tech and I don't care about tech primarily. Like what is the main reason I need to care about crypto now? Like if you had to you know, pin down two or three reasons I need to care, what is the why? I think it kind of depends on who you are. Um, like I said, it kind of means different things to different people and has different benefits, but I think everyone is kind of affected by the current kind of way money is distributed, controlled in kind of like the, the modern world. And, and I think everyone kind of uses, you know, fiat money dollars to pay for things every day and store their wealth in it, but they don't really understand like what, what the implications of the current system are. And I think the reason and why what, and what are those yeah, implications? Like what, what are those implications? I'm just, you know, like, so <laughs> um, what, what is the worst case scenario if we just continue down the path we are as opposed to some new path? Like what's the, you know, why is this new way better? Like maybe if you could explain that. Yeah. Well, for, for Bitcoin specifically, I think it's better well, it solves an important problem, which is that most, you know, fiat central bank controlled currencies eventually fail. Um, and that can be due to a variety of different reasons, maybe political pressure on, you know, the issuance or interest rates or, you know, the, the underlying mechanics of how that money is distributed and who owns it. Um, and so there, there's a, there's a high chance of failure at some point in the future. It could could take 10 years. It could take a hundred years. We, we don't really know. Um, but most fiat currencies, um, will fail in my opinion. Um, and so there has to be an exit. There has to be an escape valve. Um, and so I think Bitcoin's really important to, to, to be that exit and to allow people the freedom to basically store their wealth and transact with anyone in the world kind of through this peer to peer network. Um, and so I think just in terms of like protecting people from, from that system in the future, I think things like Bitcoin are super important. And, and if I don't even have Bitcoin on my radar right now, and I'm just listening to this podcast, I'm kind of curious about it. What should I be doing right now? Right. So I see all of this, you know, noise about Bitcoin and people making money off of, you know, certain instruments, et cetera, which we'll get into later. but you know, what do I need to do right now? Right. So, you know, if this is truly a dire picture where you're kind of saying, and, you know, many others are saying that, you know, the current system will not sustain like aside from say buying Bitcoin or whatever other coin, you know, makes sense. What else, what else do I need to be doing? Yeah. Um, well, this is obviously, I should have probably said this at the beginning. This is not financial advice. This is, you know, my personal opinion, not the, my company's. Uh, oh my gosh. You got to do that though in these things. So yeah, I got to make yeah, that disclaimer. Yeah. Oh my God. Sunil's always um, but, giving financial advice though. So I think we're probably okay. It's like semi-financial no. advice. I'm teasing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone that they like need to buy Bitcoin or, you know, go buy some certain token. Um, I think the thing that they need to be doing is kind of understanding, you know, uh, what, what, what is this technology? Why was it built? 
in the first place, which is actually getting harder and harder to do because there's so much noise and information around the cryptocurrency world that it's it's hard to kind of parse out what where, why this stuff was even built in the first place. And so specifically talking about Bitcoin, um, I think it, it would be worthy just to kind of go back and read the original white paper and try to like, in a, in a sense, like get an understanding of why Satoshi created this. Um, and, you know, definitely in the wake of, you know, the financial crisis of 2008, I think that was a big impetus. And so um, people should just learn about it and, and get up to speed as quickly as possible and, and go from there. Um, can I, can I ask a, uh, maybe an impossible question. If you had to break down the white paper into the most salient arguments, like what, what is it? Yeah. I mean, so I, I think the, the way that I would break it down is first of all, it's, it's somewhat of a technical paper. It's, it's, it's a paper describing how Satoshi solved um, a couple fundamental computer science pro- problems and I don't think it's worth maybe going into the exact details of that, but the, the gist of it is like he basically figured out how to create a digitally scarce asset. Um, and before that, kind of using a, a variety of existing technologies and mixing them together, uh, cryptography, um, peer-to-peer networks, um, and some other innovations, uh, he, he figured out how to basically solve that problem which was a breakthrough in computer science. And so a lot of the paper describes how he technically believed that the beginning of the paper actually touches on this like need for basically disintermediating third parties, namely like, you know, central central banks that have control over the money supply. And I think a lot of that roots in, in kind of a, a view of the world that, that money should be this, this market based, phenomenon that you know a, a small group of people in a central bank should not have do, nor do they have the knowledge or even capacity to understand all the intricacies of the modern economy to understand how to how to control it um it's just too complicated and so a market-based solution is is kind of what he was trying to to develop with a peer-to-peer cash system built in and so i think that's a really really important point it's not just a it sounds just like a digital gold that you hear about today. It has this kind of peer-to-peer transaction capacity built into the system inherently so that one day maybe it could be used for a medium of exchange. What do you mean by that? So why does this... Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Yasha. That that one... Answer his question first and I'll <laughs> pay him his Bitcoin and we'll, we'll get past it. <laughs> Can you talk more about that? What do you mean in other mediums? Is that what you said? Uh, so, so no, a medium of exchange. So when you when you look at kind of like what the the arc and future arc of of Bitcoin looks like in terms of adoption, the kind of step one in in becoming kind of the world's internet money um, is become a, a digital store of value, something that you can trust that you can put your kind of like hard earned uh, you know, capital into, and that it's protected from things like inflation or government seizure or or these types of things. And um, that's step one. Uh, step two, uh, and I, I think that's that's where we are today in terms of like the narrative of Bitcoin. It's it's often talked about as this digital gold. Um, but 
they're, you know, hypothesized to be a day where Bitcoin becomes a lot less volatile. Um, and, you know, people maybe at that day will want to use it for payments for goods and services in the economy. And so embedded into the blockchain, into the Bitcoin peer-to-peer network itself is, is a system that allows me to send my Bitcoin to anyone else in the world that has a Bitcoin address without any intermediaries or third parties that can censor that transaction. And so it has this payment rails built into the system itself. And maybe if there's enough transactional volume happening for goods and services on Bitcoin, it will just be considered the unit of account for goods of services on the internet in the future. Thank you. Appreciate that. Sunil. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. I, I have to address like, you know, something that probably a lot of people who are new to Bitcoin notice, which is I, I recognize the vision that you, you know, painted and the way you frame the problem. That's it's great. But what it seems like right now is a lot of speculators and a weird culture around it. And I'm hoping you can spend a minute just commenting on that because you, you know, you know, there's a, there's a version of Twitter where if you say something negative about Bitcoin, you will get, <laughs> you know, uh, attacked by a crowd or, you know, there's, there's also this feeling that there are a few whales in the room that control a vast majority of Bitcoin. Could you just talk about that? Is that perception? Is that reality? Like what's your take on all of that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there's a, there's actually a great tweet kind of, that addresses this um, by Naval Ravikant. And I just looked it up and it's, it says, um, uh, quote, Bitcoin is a tool for freeing humanity from oligarchs and tyrants dressed up as a get rich quick scheme. Um, and so what that means is that part of the brilliance of, of Bitcoin and, and some of these cryptocurrencies generally is that it, it attracts this, this speculation. Um, you know, you can make a lot of money by being early or investing in these tokens. Um, and a lot of people do that. It attracts a ton of people. It's just a human incentive to get interested and like buy this stuff. But once you buy this stuff, and I, I think we see this every four years in 2013, there was a huge bubble in 2017. There was a huge bubble. We probably are in a huge, you know, uh, adoption bubble right now in 2021. Um, it brings in people through the speculation but then they stay because of the world changing technology and a lot of the kind of the philosophy behind the technology and economics. And so I think that, that, that speculation, that craziness, the market, you know, volatility is all part of this system that attracts people in the first place to even learn about why it's important. So I think that's, it's a super important part of it. Yasha. I was uh, I was waiting patiently for you, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna dive right in. We're I love it. I think this is some, great. It's this is just here. real human. You do it, Sunil. I got a bunch of questions, so you just let me know, Sunil, <laughs> when I'm ready, uh, because I I'm gonna go. Uh, it, yeah. Okay. So it just doesn't feel, um, at least right now, Matt, like it's it, it's gonna reach the mainstream for quite a while, and. You know, what's your take on that? And, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about, um, you know, Ethereum as well, right? So we have, you know, competing technologies. It seems like there's Bitcoin, Ethereum, there's what you're working on, Solana. How should we think about these sort of parallel technologies and 
which is most likely to hit the mainstream first. And, you know, and they all seem like different, like religions almost. I'm hoping you can comment uh, for a minute on that. Yeah, there was, there were some good questions in there. Um, so I think, um, I guess the first one I'm going to address uh, is like kind of just the adoption. Um, and I think um, a lot more people own cryptocurrency than you may imagine. So I think the current, uh, this is probably out of date, but I think, uh, let me just look it up. So in, in May of this year, there are about 50 million Americans that, that own Bitcoin. Um, now I'm not saying that's like they're using Bitcoin for payments or anything like that, but these are people that have, you know, signed up for, for an account, have at least done enough, you know, um, research to, to understand how to buy it and, and try to try to interact with these systems. And, and, and in a sense, like moving from the fiat world into this cryptocurrency world. And so there's, you know, about 300, whatever, 70 million Americans. That's, that's a, that's a pretty big chunk. 50 million Americans. Um, and I, and I'm not sure what it is worldwide, but I would imagine it's actually more. Most crypto trading still happens overseas. Most of the adoption is happening mostly in Asia. Um, and so I, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but I would imagine it's even higher percentage there. Um, so in a sense, like adoption has already started on the Bitcoin front. Um, getting to the kind of the second part of your question, which is around like Ethereum, Solana, and I, I, I think it's really important, and I think it, people confuse this um, a lot, is that I, I think Bitcoin, it, it's not like Bitcoin is competing with Ethereum that is competing with Solana. It's, these, are, these are separate systems. They're additive. It's very much a positive-sum game at this point. And I think Bitcoin is, is designed in a way that is very different from these smart contracting platforms like Solana and Ethereum. Bitcoin is trying to be the world's, you know, the internet's, you know, future money. Um, the, the store of value, the medium of exchange, the unit of account um, for the future. Ethereum um, is, is kind of about uh, more like a decentralized platform for launching decentralized censorship resistant applications. Um, and, and there's a, and there's a variety and it's about a lot of the different assets and a lot of different types of use cases well beyond just like money. Um, and so that's how I would kind of like separate the two. And I think, you know, Bitcoin's probably the farthest along in terms of like adoption from, from people holding it, financial institutions holding it now. Um, but things like Ethereum and Solana, are going to to well grow beyond just like that sing, singular use case, um, and I think in terms of adoption on those two, I think we have some somewhere in the order of like uh, uh, some. I think there's like 10, 10 to fifteen million monthly active users using the main wallet on on Ethereum called MetaMask, and something like a million in Solana. So. Not, not to the, you know, not huge numbers, but in, in terms of like web two companies like Facebook or, or Twitter and such, but, but growing very, very quickly. And so I think adoption is, is well on its way. That's fascinating. I, I actually didn't know those numbers. And, and I think it's an interesting comparison to think about a Facebook or a, a, another consumer type product. Maybe the difference in those products is that the government really didn't get involved to think about regulation until after they got big, um, I'm, but 
that doesn't seem to be the case with the cryptocurrency industry generally. If it's the EU or the U.S. government, like there's a lot of government activity. Like, what's the end goal with government and cryptocurrency right now, in your opinion? Ooh, it's a it's a big question, and I'll. I this guess is not I'll financial I'm advice. Not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I am not a lawyer. I am. Not, this is not financial advice, but um, I I think it really depends on what government you're talking about. You know, crypto is inherently like the internet, a global worldwide network. It's a phenomenon um, that, you know, many different, that touches many different jurisdictions around the world and every country has, you know, different views on it. Um, and so r- ranging from quite, quite hostile to, to very accepting. Um, and so I, you know, it's tough to say right now, like, what the U.S. government thinks of of all of this stuff. I think they're just trying to wrap their heads around something like Bitcoin, um, let alone something like Ethereum or Solana. Um, and so I, I think it's just early days. And, and for the most part, there haven't there's been some negative recent um, you know attention on on Bitcoin and, and some of these networks. Um, but honestly, like there hasn't, it, you know, nothing in the U S is like tried to shut down all these companies, for instance. Um, they've, they've, they've kind of so far, as far as I can tell, let, you know, people build and, and, and kind of see what, what it becomes. And I think that's the right approach. Um, not all countries have done that. Um, but I think that's going to be kind of the right approach going forward. What, what do you think about, all right. Um, so it's Neil, I got another one. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, just okay. keep going. Because I want to talk about yeah, government yeah, so you, stuff. You go, you go ahead. Yeah, thanks. I you appreciate go ahead. it. You go I ahead. love it. But um, Matt, what, like, what's going on in China with cryptocurrency? From what I understand, the Chinese government is creating their own coin and they're uh, regulating wallets. Is that right? Or is there something else going on in China that it kind of relates to the way that governments might get involved with cryptocurrency? Yeah, so there's there's a lot happening in China. China is like a really, really big country. And I, I think... There, there. It's only it's it's not like the U.S. where there's you know, state governments, but there are provinces, and they have their local governments, and they have different you know sometimes viewpoints than the than kind of the the larger uh, party view. Um, but as far as I kind of understand, recently is that they banned Bitcoin mining. Um, not not entirely sure or clear why they did, um, but you know, it, it was a big hit to the the Bitcoin mining industry for about a day. Um, and then all the mining just went elsewhere where it was accepted in jurisdictions like the U S and Texas, um, and like Iceland where, where it's, it's welcome. So, um, that was kind of like the big, I guess, China news this year. And I, I don't know what they're going to do going forward. I know they're developing their own kind of like you know, cryptocurrency, I say with big, big air quotes, um, because I view cryptocurrency as this kind of open, transparent, censorship resistant, you know, technology. And I think what they're building is, is kind of the opposite in, in a lot of senses. So they may call it a cryptocurrency, but um, it's very different than, than Bitcoin or Ethereum or Solana. Got it. Thank you. Matt, what is mining? Like what explain mining, <laughs> like, you know, for all of these cryptocurrencies, just what is the concept of mining? Yeah, so there has to be a way to to basically process and confirm transactions happening in the network. So if I want to send you know five bitcoins from my wallet to your wallet, um, in 
in in it, it, it varies um you know in each network but in bitcoin they use a proof of work algorithm uh, and consensus mechanism and so um if i want to send a transaction to you it goes into this queue um essentially of unconfirmed transactions and then miners basically with and, and they compete basically to include that transaction in in their kind of block of transactions that gets confirmed on the chain and and mining is basically the process of acquiring a lot of very very specific hardware called ASICs that that allow people to basically solve you can think of it as like sudoku problems or math problems attached to each kind of block and whoever s- solves it first um, basically gets a little reward in terms of bitcoin from the algorithm and the transaction fees in, involved and then you know, they they publish their 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 block, and then it gets confirmed on chain if, if they actually kind of won that global competition. Um, and and the idea is it's sort of like a lottery where the more computing power, the more ASICs that you have, um, the the higher the chance that you'll you'll win that block. Um, and so that's the kind of the idea. Yeah. So okay. I mean, okay. So we've we've talked a little bit about. Mining, we've talked a little bit about, you know, Bitcoin and the different cultures, but what uh, across the different sort of chains and the different purposes, put my money into Bitcoin? Should I put my money into Ethereum? Should I put my money into Solana? Again, we're going to put the disclosure on financial advice. I'm just kind of wondering what to do with this, right? Uh, like, you know, what, what do I do with all of this information, knowing that this is going to be a thing potentially? Should I buy NFTs? And, and I definitely want to get your explanation of what an NFT is. But, you know, I, I, I kind of just still wonder what to do with this right now. Why don't you just hit off what your and, portfolio looks like right now, Sunil? Like, what are you doing in crypto? Sorry, guys. Uh, I, I just, uh, my, my headphones got disconnected. I'm back now. Sorry. Um, I, think, I think I heard the question. But, yeah, Sunil, I'm actually really curious. What, what's in your portfolio? What bags are you holding now? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty meat and potatoes investor, right? Like I, I have like some stocks, I have some cash. I have a few Solana tokens I bought in preparation for this uh, podcast, but, and, and like, I, I think I own like one Ethereum or something like that, but I'm not some big crypto maven or anything like that, but I'm hearing all the uh, broad advice saying that one to 2% of your portfolio should be in crypto. And I basically, you know, kind of, I'm looking at that and thinking, okay, yeah, maybe that's, that's something I should, I don't know. Like I, I seriously just don't know what to do with crypto and what the best way to approach it is. And, you know, meanwhile, I get texts from people saying, Hey, you know, I sold this NFT for like a $10,000 gain in two hours. And I'm like, what? And I'm getting serious FOMO and I'm reminded of the, uh, you know, 1990s and, you know, late 90s and early 2000s stock boom and all of that stuff. I don't know what to do. It's mostly just so, me texting know, you, Sunil. Yasha, It's just me texting you. I make, I give Sunil so much <laughs> FOMO. That's awesome. No, I, I think you're, you're hitting on a, an important point. One is just like the whole speculation piece. And, and I think, you know, anytime there's a, a, you know, quote, you know, a technological revolution, right? There's a whole book by Carlotta Perez called technological revolutions that kind of talks about these speculative, you know, financial mania around, you know, the, the steam engine 
you know, uh, you know, the internet boom. Um, and so, you know, cryptocurrency is going to obviously follow suit. And in terms of, in terms of like, you know, portfolio construction and what the average person should, should be doing, you know, I, 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 I think it's wise just on a, you know, diversification level to, to invest, you know, a, a percentage, uh, you know, a certain low percentage of, of your money into crypto, not, not more than you'd be willing to all lose completely. You know, the stuff is all experiments. We don't know how it's going to play out. Um, but, you know, having some percentage based on, you know, the size of the, the market, I'm trying to think what, what is the, the total market cap now of all cryptocurrencies is um, 2 trillion, 2.2 trillion. So it's a huge asset class um, cumulatively. And so it's just wise to, you know, diversify across, you know, a broad spectrum of assets and, and you know, cryptocurrency should be part of that. Um, I think that's what the average person should do um, because it's, it's still very early um, and we don't know how it's going to play out. What about the non-average person? Let's say you're Sunil and you kind of, you know a little bit more than average and you've got some Bitcoin, you've got some Ethereum, you've probably got some Dogecoin, some Cardano, maybe a little bit of Litecoin. I think that's pretty much your portfolio, right? Sunil? Like, what do I do next? Like, what's the next thing that I should be thinking about? And I, and I, I want to transition this into that conversation about NFTs. Yeah. Um, so to the next step is to actually start learning about like what all of these cryptocurrencies do and what their purpose is. Um, and understanding kind of that, that difference that I'm ta- was talking about before where Bitcoin very much like very conservative, very secure going for this digital money use case. Um, and then kind of understanding that things like, you know, Ethereum and Solana are trying to be kind of these decentralized development platforms that, that people can build, you know, financial applications or, you know, entertainment, art, gaming, uh, web three use cases on top of, um, and then, so kind of understand what these base layer cryptocurrencies do. And then from there, there's a whole, you know, plethora of, you know, kind of application specific tokens, um, that, that have different functionality and, and really understand what the economics of these things, why they exist in the first place. Um, and I think going from there and just finding what you're interested in, right? Like some people are interested in NFTs. Um, I personally, like I, I'm, I'm interested in it, but not as much as decentralized finance use cases. What is an NFT? Um, and so, can you, can you break that down for us? Yeah. Yeah. So NFT stands for non-fungible token. And basically what that is, is, you know, you can think of something like, Ethereum or Bitcoin has, you know, a certain amount of tokens, right? And they're fungible. One Bitcoin is no different from another Bitcoin in a sense. Um, someone on a, you know, originally on Ethereum uh, built this kind of standard uh, called ERC721 for non-fungible tokens. And that's just a, a one of one. There's one token. It's digitally scarce. And it's usually tied to some media file. It can be a video. It can be a GIF. It can be an image. But it's, it's as long as, like, the person that owns that token, it owns, in a sense, that digitally scarce picture, video, or file. Um, and so that's kind of one way to think about NFTs. How many NFTs do you have? <laughs> I, have I have a few. Um, it's not something that I spend. But I, I mean, I spend a lot of time learning about it just in the nature of working for Solana Labs. And there's a lot of great NFT-related projects building on the platform. Um, but it's not something that, you know, I personally spend a lot of time investing in. Yeah. So, uh, on, 
on NFTs, and then I have a related question to Defy. I mean, so so basically, and I'm going to oversimplify here. It feels like okay. So Bitcoin store of value. That's how we should think of it. Ethereum, you know, there's applications being built on top that might be more practical. To me, it feels like these NFTs are right now, you know, the number one, at least the most talked about application. Like, is it real? Like, is it sustainable? Is this, is this a thing or, you know, is it, is it sort of like a a money grab? Um, That's my question about NFTs. And then on DeFi, you know, what, you know, how is that going to withstand regulation and how, how is the future of DeFi? Like, how does that actually look? Yeah, big, big questions. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll talk about NFGs first um, and whether they're sustainable. I, I think the concept generally is, is very sustainable and it, there's going to be a lot of experimentation, a lot of different types of use cases within that kind of NFT bucket, whether it's like a digital game item um, or kind of a, a work of art. Um, so like, you know, the people, uh, I think people sold like, you know, a $75 million you know, piece of you know, NFT at, at one point this year. Um, and so, and then there's this, this whole other category of generative NFTs. Um, and so I, I, I think that it's great that there's tons of experimentation. There's a lot of people in their spare time or like maybe even making it their full-time job, figuring out like, how do we use this kind of standard and primitive to, to create value? Um, and I, I think it is going to be important. I think we spend a lot of our days now online and I think it's, you know, owning digital art or, you know, digital media of some sort is going to be important and, and very valuable in the future. I don't know how exactly it's going to take form and what the sustainable models are going to be, but I think it's great that people are experimenting with it. And I think one of those things is going to work or probably multiple. Um, and then the second question was about DeFi, right? Um, about just, do, do you want to just get a, maybe, maybe helpful just to get like yeah, a little is primer it, or, or is, on, is it, on what DeFi yeah. is. Yeah, that, it would be great to get a primer. I think what I'm trying to wrap my head around is is what you're saying that, or the implication that, you know, it won't be Chase anymore that you bank with. It'll be something else. It'll be something that's sort of on one of these chains. Like, just talk a little bit about, about the primer and then, you know, what the, what the vision for the future is here. Yeah, so DeFi stands for Decentralized Finance, um, and it's just what, uh, you know, a, a, a class of applications uh, and ecosystem that's building on Solana and Ethereum and some other chains as well. Um, and the basic idea is that, um, you know, we want to create basically a, a global financial system, similar to what Bitcoin wants to create a global money um, that is more open, uh, you know, innovative, fast, transparent, and, um, and allows people a lot more flexibility with what they can do with their assets um, and the type of financial product that can be created. And so um, I think the, 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 the other important kind of like primary here is that, you know, in the United States and in the Western world, we're kind of like blessed with, with great financial infrastructure. You know, we, we can open a bank account. Um, you know, there's, there's insurance products, there's, you know, stock markets. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that like, 
most of the, you know, uh, you know, billions of people around the world do not have access to this like first world financial infrastructure. And so DeFi is sort of being built out in part to, to service people that, that don't have that similar to how kind of like there weren't landline phones in, in countries like in Indonesian and India that, that proliferated very quickly. It kind of leapfrogged that with the mobile phone. And now, you know, billions of people have just mobile phones. And so the idea here is like, if you have a mobile phone and don't have a bank account or can't, don't, can't, can't get a loan or don't have access to the stock market, um, you can tap into DeFi and, and get access to, to a next generation you know, financial platform. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like the, the big idea. Is that, is it happening? Is it, is it moving past big idea into something that's approachable? I think we're at this stage kind of like similar to the internet, you know, people often complain that like, Oh, like, you know, DeFi isn't actually solving these problems. Right. It's still just like, you know, some very rich people in Western countries that are playing around with these financial technology and, and building it. Like, who are the people in other countries actually using it? And I, and I think that it's not fair to say that no one in, like, you know, third world countries are, are utilizing this technology, but it's kind of like the internet, right? Where the internet was very much developed um, by, by you know, a small group of, I want to say elite people, but relatively uh, in, you know, kind of the Western world. And then it kind of, like, proliferated through, through society globally. And so I think we're still at the stage where it's a lot of the innovation and, and technology and, and, and the primitives being built out for the structure of it are happening in kind of like first world countries. But I think over time, um, especially with things like Solana that like reduces costs and, and the speed of transactions and access, um, it, it will proliferate to, 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 to everyone with a smartphone. Are there, are there banks getting involved, yeah. like centralized banks getting involved in the world of DeFi? Probably every single major financial institution, whether bank or kind of hedge fund or, um, you know, really, really every single major player is, is looking very, very deeply into crypto right now. And, and a lot of them are, are looking very deeply specifically into DeFi um, protocols. And so, I, I, you know, no, no one has, you know, gone full in and just like completely replaced every inner working of their current system um, with, with kind of a crypto solution, but uh, they're, they're all exploring it. You know, I, I feel like we're going to need like another two to three parts of this uh, podcast, <laughs> Yasha, at some point, but, um, but I do want to kind of start to bring this to a close uh, and try to tie some of the concepts together and just, you know, ask a big, another big question, which is, you know, Matt, in your view is, is crypto bad for the climate, right? So you hear all this stuff around Bitcoin and, you know, how much power it's consuming of the world, et cetera. Like what, you know, what's your view on, on crypto and climate change? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so First of all, they're, they're kind of like I was saying before, there's, there's different consensus mechanisms and Bitcoin has one called proof of work. Um, Ethereum is moving to and Solana has currently implemented something called proof of stake, which doesn't involve all of this, like basically this arms race of, of you know, hardware and, you know, you know taking all the, the, you know, this power um, around the world um, to, to, to power the network. And so things like Solana, you know, it, it, it's not 
it's not affecting it at all because there isn't this kind of like arms race and hardware uh, and power consumption. It's, it's using a different mechanism um, that's much more green friendly. Um, for Bitcoin, though, e- even so, um, I, my personal view is is that a lot of the the power consumption that that Bitcoin absorbs is 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 kind of like was going to be wasted anyways. So you see a lot of this in in Texas and like wind farms. You know, a lot of Bitcoin miners use the excess uh, power from from existing power sources. Same with like hydroelectric dams, um, and so a lot of that comes from you know, power that would have already got burned. And then the greater philosophical question, I'm not going to answer this one way or the other, but is like, what is a, you know, what is it worth to have a truly decentralized, open, transparent, you know, market-based money that's internet native in the world? And and what is that worth? And what's the trade-off that we should be making, um, even if it was, you know, not green-friendly? And so that's that's how I'd answer it. I appreciate it. It's a tough question to answer. It's kind of heady, right? But I appreciate yeah. you digging through. I really appreciate kind of you guiding us through kind of some of the technical details and the ins and outs of some of the major spaces around crypto. I have one, maybe this is a kind of flippant question for you before I want to ask the final question of the night in this podcast. And that final question I'm going to ask you right now so you can think about it. And I'm going to ask you the one question in front of that. So uh, every time we host a podcast with an amazing guest like yourself, we always ask, who's the recommended follow on the network that you spend your time in social media? So that's the question I'm going to ask in a moment. But before we get there, Sunil kind of hinted at this. I think I'm kind of generally curious about it. It feels like if you're early in crypto or you were earlier even now in crypto, like you probably have an opportunity to be retired. Like, why are you still working? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I strongly believe in a lot of the philosophical underpinnings of things like Bitcoin or smart contract platforms like Solana, where I think it's, it's going to be really, really critical for society to, to decentralize um, certain parts of the economy. And, you know, I, that, that's really what motivates me day in and day out. I want to, I want to play a part in, in helping that vision and, and this technology spreading across the world. And I think it's just going to be an, an enormously beneficial thing for, you know, the world um, in the 21st century. And so um, that's, that's why I'm, I'm working at Solana Labs and, you know, I, that's why I've focused all my time on this. I appreciate it. You want to give everybody your uh, wallet ID so they can send you stuff? I'm just kidding. totally teasing. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I really no, appreciate you spending time with us tonight. Um, been a super informational kind of block of time. And as Sunil said, we could probably do this in multiple chunks. There's just so much to talk about here. So as we leave, as you are thinking about somebody who's interested in learning more and more and more about cryptocurrency or crypto generally, like who are the follows in social media that you're paying attention to that you think other people should? Um. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, uh, and I pulled up my follow list. I, I, first of all, the the network, you know, the, the epicenter of all kind of crypto information is Twitter. Interestingly enough, um, and so I spend really a, a lot of time every day, and have been for I guess the last like eight or nine years on on Twitter. Um, and so I, I mean, I gotta I gotta give a shout out to Anatoly Yakovenko who's the kind of the creator of the Solana protocol. And he's, uh, 
he's a good follow if you really kind of want to understand the importance of kind of decentralization, censorship resistant networks. Um, a little technical, but he's a great follow. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I, I learned a lot from this guy early on when I was first kind of digging into Bitcoin. Um, his name's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, of course. Uh, Andreas Antonopoulos um, is, is like a really um, interesting follow if you want to learn about just like Bitcoin, with philo- philosophical underpinnings and kind of like the technology behind it and why it exists. Uh, I think he's a great follow as well. Um, but I mean, it's, it's tough to say. Uh, it, there's so many really good follows. Another one is if you're more into kind of like entrepreneurship, company building, you know, where, where this space is going from like an entrepreneur's viewpoint, this guy named Sam Bankman Freed, um, he's a, he's the founder of this, uh, one of the largest exchanges called FTX. He's a, he's a great follow too. So yeah, those are the three ones to, to get started. Awesome. Hey Matt, we really, really appreciate you coming on the pod tonight. Um, lots of great information. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thanks guys for having me. So Neil, I feel like we probably could have gone on for, I don't know, at least another three or four hours with Matt, like easily three or four hours. This is such a wide ranging subject that um, it does probably warrant like two or three podcasts because, you know, you could, you could start anywhere, you could finish anywhere, but it's so topical right now, given that a lot of folks are thinking about things like inflation and a lot of you know people on the internet anyway point to crypto as the answer to uh, things that ail the economy right now. Well, I, it's not apropos that you say that because my T-shirt this morning says "crypto is the answer." I'm kidding, of course. I don't wear T-shirts, but here's the, here's the thing: I like you ask a basic question, a question that you feel like should be a really simple question that maybe you're a little bit embarrassed to ask, and the conversation ends up going into like here's the technical depth of why this platform exists and its purpose, into what its kind of utility is, into maybe the philosophy behind the founders of uh, this particular crypto, into this is the way that they're marketing it. Like it, there's just no easy way to navigate in. And uh, as you said, like, incredibly topical. We didn't even really get into NFTs either, which could be a whole other couple of days of podcasts. It, uh, today's podcast was fun and and rich. I think we need to do a 202 and a 303 and a 404 and get you that professorial credit you so richly deserve. Huh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be doing that anytime soon, but I am happy to always talk to experts like Matt. Really grateful for his time. Expect more on this subject this year and expect more from us this year as uh, real life returns. So I anticipate we'll be recording a lot more in 2022. 2022, it's the year of the podcast. Thank you for listening today. We had a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us on this most recent episode of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley. My name's Yasha, and on behalf of Sunil and myself, we'd like to say thank you for spending your time with us. If you love this episode as much as we love recording this episode, please go back to the podcast player that you found us on, leave five stars, along with a comment we promise to read every single one.